Amen. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Sunday after Christmas. It looks like we all survived. Well done, well done. Um, we are doing our last uh, session for our Christmas series, which we had entitled Warrior Child, a Prince of Peace Born for War. That's super dramatic, isn't it? Somebody needs to make the movie of that. It sounds amazing. Um, Pastor Jess kicked us off last Sunday with the first session, and she did such a great job. Who, who remembers all the lights going off because the power was so strong on this one? Um, so if that happens again today, I feel like today if the power goes off, it's because you're not clapping when I make a good point. So just clap hard, okay? Um, but uh, Jess just started us off by reminding us that when it comes to peace, peace isn't just about a situation or a circumstance. Peace isn't just about a space where there's no conflict and where everything goes exactly the way we want it to go. Peace is tied directly to our standing in Jesus Christ. Um, and today I'm going to be talking about fighting for peace. Fighting for peace. And this really is a great kingdom irony that we actually have to fight for peace. The reason for this is because it says in Romans 8 verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And in Romans 5 verse 10 it says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And so there was a time for every single one of us where we were actually God's enemies. Because our minds were set on our fleshly desires not on his heart and what he wanted. But then God sent Jesus Christ to come and do warfare so that our souls could be reconciled in peace to him. And Jesus died on that cross, and in that moment we were reconciled to him. And so peace belongs to Jesus. Now the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and I'm doing a bit of a recap for Jess, but I think we're coming from slightly different angles, and I think that's a great way to actually understand the topic. So the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and it means to be safe in mind, body, or estate. It speaks of completeness, fullness, or a type of inner holiness. Now, if you went to Israel today, um, the locals there would greet you. They would say hello and goodbye to you by saying shalom. That's how they greet in Israel. And what they are literally saying is, may you be full of well-being. May health and prosperity be upon you. And so you see, our peace, again, is not um, about our situation or our circumstance. It's about who Jesus Christ is in us and who we are in him. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's written as a command, isn't it? Strive for peace. That's actually an oxymoron, isn't it? Peace, striving. Peace, how? But there it says, strive for peace. Striving for peace is hard. <laughs> it is straight up spiritual warfare because our peace is being attacked. Has anybody ever had their peace attacked? Look around you. Our peace will be attacked. And so we have to strive to maintain it. Now, the Greek word translated as strive for in Hebrews 12 verse 14 is dioko. And it means to press on toward peace by any appropriate means possible. To pursue peace with relentless determination. 
that word is actually translated as persecute in a few of our scriptures. What are we persecuting? We're persecuting conflict. We're not persecuting people by judging them. But wherever we find a lack of peace, we diaco it, we persecute it, we take it captive, and we tell it, it it can't stay there. And so can you see that 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 word strive is strong. It requires effort. It requires faith. Now, obviously, all conflict can't be avoided. Romans 12 verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I love that Paul is a human being writing to human beings. Paul is saying, I am a man submitted to God, writing to other men and women submitted to God. And I'm saying, we don't get it right all the time, but as far as possible, live in peace with each other. As far as it is up to you, live in peace with each other. Who knows that sometimes you want to live in peace, but the other person doesn't. (laughs) Now, we are not meant to be the other person, okay? (laughs) We're meant to be those who, as far as possible, live in peace. But even the Bible understands that conflict is a part of life. It is most certainly a part of being human, but it is even more so part of being a Christian. And we have to learn healthy biblical ways of dealing with conflict. It is not healthy to just avoid conflict. Peace doesn't mean we just don't deal with anything. That is highly unhealthy. But we have to learn healthy ways to to deal with stress and with conflict in our lives. Now, that's a whole other sermon that I'm not going to preach to you today. But if you remember back through the year, we preached a series called Facing the Giants, and there was a lot of discussion there around the culture of honor and how to deal with conflict. Um, Also, in our family series, we also spoke about healthy boundaries and dealing with conflict. So if you need some more help on that, go listen to those. But there are lots of books, lots of sermon series available all over the internet that will help you learn to deal with conflict well. Now, the Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that's what Pastor Jess spoke about last week, the Prince of of Peace. And that word prince in the Hebrew means all authority, the one with all authority. Jesus has all the authority to give us peace. He holds peace. And the Prince of Peace, who is the Son of God, in Matthew 5, verse 9, he says to us, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, how far did the Prince of Peace go to provide peace? How far was he willing to go to provide peace? Well, he died. And so we need to learn how to pursue peace to death. John Bloom writes this. He says, How far should the sons of God go to make peace? To the death. At the very least, it means put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It means love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. It means bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with one another. Never be wise in your own sight. Never repay evil for evil. And do what is honorable in the sight of all. Never seeking revenge when wronged. Treating our enemies with graciousness and compassion. And so far as it depends on us, living peaceably with all. And so if you thought when you heard the word peace, that peace is just some airy, fairy, soft skill, 
I hope that you are beginning to realize that if we want to live in peace in our lives and in our relationships in this fallen world, it is going to take great faith and great courage to strive for it, to pursue it unto death. You see, we are meant to be peacemakers, and peacemakers are warriors who challenge the status quo and declare that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that he is the Lord of Peace, and that he is the only way you can possibly gain peace with your God and Creator. But how do we fight for peace? Why don't you take a moment and think in your own life, in your own heart, what are some of the things that rob you of peace, that steal your peace? Just take a moment and think about that. So as I asked myself that question, I came up with a list of stuff for me. And on my list, I've got shame and guilt, worry, anxiety and fear, desperation and taking offense um, and, 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 and hurt in my relationships, being hurt in my relationships. Who, who had some of those on their list? Okay. Um, as I was thinking a little bit more about it, I also came up with some of those things that happen to us that feel so out of our control, like chronic health issues, um, mental illness, depression, maybe addictions. Did anybody have those on their list? So, so those are things that can rob our peace, aren't they? And when I was looking at this, at this list, I was realizing that what all of these things have in common is that when we, when we are living in these realities, it pulls us out of standing with Jesus. You see, he's one piece for us. But shame and guilt and stress and worry and chronic health issues and depression, they pull us out of standing with Jesus. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, strive for peace with everyone, but it also says strive for the holiness. So, so often in my life, I've realized that shame and guilt, worry, anxiety, fear, depression, Desperation and taking offense are actually caused by my own sin, by things I'm doing wrong and, and not submitting to the Lord, by the spaces where I'm not letting him guide and lead me. And the reality of sin is that our sin separates us from God. Now, notice the way I said it. Our sin separates us from God. Who's doing the separating? Us. The good news is, is that your sin, no matter how great, will never change who God is fundamentally. More importantly, your sin doesn't change who he is to you. We have to understand this. When I sin, when you sin, what changes? Us. We are the only thing that changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So that's the good news. But the bad news is when we sin, we change. When we sin, we take ourselves out of that right standing with Jesus Christ, and we open ourselves up to turmoil and to panic and to stress. Now, when I was looking at the second list of things, those things that maybe we feel like we're not in control with, those health issues, the mental illness, depression, addictions, but those things also take us out of standing with Jesus Christ because those things lie to us and they try to create an identity in us that we are less than what God has called us to be. 
They tell us that we're not good enough and that there must be something wrong with us because these things are in our life. But that's a lie. And the issue is about agreement. Am I going to agree with shame and guilt and fear and worry? Am I going to agree that because I have a chronic health issue that I can't control, I'm less than? Because as soon as we agree with those things, we have just agreed with a lie. And we are no longer living in the identity God has given us. I want to talk about something today. I feel like I'm going to talk about three weapons that we can use to fight for peace, to strive for peace. But before I get there, there's just something that, that came alive to me this year about the lie of desperation. And I believe it's, it's a revelation that God's given me, and it's something I'm going to take with me out of this year, I think, for the rest of my life. But, you know, in our worship songs, we sometimes sing, I'm desperate for you. Okay? And when we sing that, we're saying, I can't live without you. You're all I want. You're amazing. There's nothing wrong with that. But the actual word, the English word desperation, is not a good word. The word desperation means that there is no or little help. There is no option. It means it is so serious and dangerous that I am going to die. Okay? So desperation is like this. You went on your Christmas holiday cruise, and maybe you had a little bit too much champagne on Christmas Eve, and you fell over the ship. And now you're in the Atlantic Ocean by yourself trading water. And you're only going to stay alive for as long as you can trade water, and then you're gone. Nobody knows you're there. Nobody's coming for you. We call that desperate, don't we? Maybe on Christmas Eve you were um, hiking in the Drakensberg, and being a millennial you decided to take a selfie, and then you misjudged the cliff and you fell off. It's, it, it's happening way too much with millennials, people. The killer selfies have got to stop. But uh, as you're falling, there is no trampoline down there, there is no branch, you are going to die. That is what we call desperate. There is no hope, it is dangerous, it is severe. And so some of us are in desperate situations, let's just be honest. There are, there are some times in our life where we are desperate. But for you and I as Christians, there is a lie in that desperation. What is the lie? The lie is that there's no hope. You see, God is always with us. I've done a few studies, and, and in different versions, I've looked for as many as I can, but I found at least seven times in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, where God promises that He is with us and that He will never, ever forsake us. See, the problem with desperation is that desperation is an enemy of faith. Faith and desperation cannot exist in the same space because faith is the substance of things hoped for. If there's no hope, there is no faith. Hope is like the material we cut the garment of faith out of. Desperation means there is no hope. But it's a choice we make as Christians. Will we live in hope or will we live in desperation? And because desperation has no hope, what starts happening when we get desperate? We panic. And when we panic, we start doing whatever it takes to stay alive. And we have no faith. We're not trusting in God. We're just making plans, making plans, making plans. But what we are not aware of is what is the real issue? How did I end up in this desperate space? What's going on in my heart, in my life, in my situation that brought me here? Nothing just happens. <laughs> I'm also not aware and I don't care about the consequences of the plans I'm making to save myself now. That might be lifelong consequences. And so desperation steals our peace, and it makes a bad situation even worse. 
And I want to encourage you today, if you find yourself in a desperate place, if you feel like you're drowning in the Atlantic, well, the promise for you is something's coming for you. Maybe it's a broken in half surfboard, but something is coming for you. And if you'll jump onto that surfboard, that half broken surfboard, something else will happen and something else will happen and God will pull you out. But you have to make a decision to stop panicking and to start trusting in God. And so the first weapon I want to talk about that we have in our arsenal to fight for peace is confession and repentance. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness will He, will he cleanse us from? All of it. Not just that person's unrighteousness, but not yours. Not this, but not that. All unrighteousness. And so... Um, Repentance for us is such a hard thing. We make it such a difficult thing. But in my understanding, as I've grown in my Christian faith, I've begun to realize that when I sin, what is happening is that I am disagreeing with God. I am choosing to do something I think is right for me. And I'm looking at God and saying, no, I'm going to do it my way. So what does repentance mean? It just means I have to agree with God again. That is, in essence, what repentance is. I did my own thing. I disagree with you. Now I'm coming back and I'm agreeing with you. You are right. You do know better. <laughs> and I want to do it your way because it works out way better than I do it my way. And so in our lives, when we agree with shame, worry, anxiety, when we believe that we are nothing but our mental illness or our depression or our addiction, can you see that we are sinning because we're disagreeing with God? He is our identity. He tells us who and what we are and how to live our lives. And so when I repent, I have to come to him and say, Lord, I'm agreeing with you again. Something else I realized in my life is that in my early Christian walk, if I sinned in thought, word, or deed, it would take me three months to repent. What I realize now is that the, the space between realizing I disagree with God and coming back to God, how it, the longer that space is, the more it is telling me that I don't understand who God is. Remember what I said to you, your sin does not change him, and it doesn't change who he is to you. The work of Jesus Christ is finished. I feel like we are still doing penance. Who knows what penance means? Penance is a Catholic doctrine where after you've sinned, you have to go and suffer. It's ungodly. Jesus died on that cross once and for all. It is done. You feeling bad about your sin for six months doesn't make you holier or more righteous. It makes you dumb. <laughs> like it made me dumb when I did that. Sorry if I offended anybody there. Why? Because the quicker I repent, the more it tells me that I actually know God loves me and cares about me, that the cross of Christ works, that it has power to save me. And if you want peace in your life, you've got to learn to repent quickly. Now, Hebrews, that scripture in Hebrews said, strive for peace and for holiness. So let's get honest about that. In repentance, I have to understand, if I want peace, righteousness comes hand in hand with peace. In fact, righteousness goes before peace. So Pastor just actually stole this from a New Year's uh, Eve service. I preached and I loved it, so I'm stealing it back from her and you're going to hear it again. <laughs> um, if you look in Scripture, so often when you look at Scriptures of peace, righteousness is the first word in the Scripture. 
So for example, Psalm 85 verse 10, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Isaiah states it categorically. And the effect of righteousness will be, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Do you want peace and quietness and trust? Be righteous. Um, Romans 14 verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy. Think about it. If I live righteously, if I am never doing anything wrong, how much unpeace can come to my life? <laughs> I just made up a word, but you get what I'm saying. Does that make sense to you? The good news is Jesus Christ is our righteousness. It's not, it's not our good works, it's His. We hide ourselves in His righteousness and we live righteous. <laughs> also in 1 John 1 verse 9, it says that we have to confess our sins. So confession is part of repenting. Confession means to acknowledge. And there are three things, there are three people I have to acknowledge my disagreement, my sin to. Myself. Sometimes in my life I realized I was so scared of God. I thought God was so angry and gonna zap me with lightning. I just started repenting. I didn't have a clue what I was repenting of. I'm not repenting, I'm just saying sorry. And I'm trying to hide away from a spanking that isn't even going to come in any case. And as I've grown in my Christianity, I've realized it's good. I must repent quickly, but I need to repent of what I actually did wrong. I need to acknowledge myself, but my attitude, my stubbornness, my fear, my lack, put me in that place where I disagreed with God. And that's what I'm repenting of. God, I don't trust you enough. God, I don't see how big you are. God, I am just selfish and I wanted to hurt somebody. <laughs> I've got to acknowledge to myself what I did wrong. Then I've got to acknowledge to God what I did wrong. But thirdly, I need to acknowledge to somebody else what I've done wrong. Confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. That's about your soul being whole. That's about peace being restored to you. And so you need to find people you are going to share your lives with, that you're going to say, listen, my attitude is bad and I think I'm going to sin. <laughs> I'm really angry. I think I'm going to say, who are those people in your life? We are very big on joining a connect group in this church for many reasons. Number one, discipleship. But number two is because then you find people you can actually share your life with who are going to look at you and say, fam, no. Mm -mm. And so we need to learn to confess to, to others. I head up the pastoral um, ministry in, in Rosebank, here at Rosebank, and I love it. I love walking with people. I love helping people through their problems and their, their stuff. But as a result of my position, I get a lot of emails through the year of people who really are in desperate situations. And when I read that e email, there's a word that almost 99% of those emails have in them, and it's the word secret. We kept it secret. We didn't tell anybody. Nobody knows. That's 18 months ago. I'm getting the email today because they are in the Atlantic Ocean and they're falling off a cliff. And I want to say this to you. The level of secrecy in your life is going to dictate the level of turmoil and nightmare in your life. It is as simple as that. It's hard, but it is true. You know, the Bible says that everything that is done in secret will be revealed. And that's not about shaming you. The revealing of our secrets is the consequence of our lives. Those emails are revealing the secret. 
because now they have no recourse. And the worst thing is they did it in secret, so there is nobody to help them. For 18 months they suffer because there is nobody they're going to talk to. And so the less secrets you've got in your life, the better. The second weapon we can use to fight for peace is forgiveness. Offenses and unforgiveness rob us of our peace, don't they? And the only way we can fight for true peace in our relationships is through forgiveness. And forgiveness means I need to let go of offendedness. I need to let go of offense. And the reality with offenses is that every offense is a choice I make. Every single day of our lives, there are a thousand opportunities to be offended. Will we be or won't we be? And we have to own that whatever offense is in our life, we have chosen it. Now, the hard fact is this. Whether it's somebody accidentally bumping into your car or mass murder, it is still a choice whether we are offended or not. The consequences are completely different. The one is way harder than the other one. But the only way I can be free of either of those is if I choose to forgive, if I choose to let go of offendedness. And that's my responsibility. I chose to be offended. I have to choose to let go. I've learned, this is how I forgive. I once had a young man come for counseling, and we chatted for three seconds, and he was saying all the right things, and he loved Jesus, but there was just something not right. And in my heart, I was thinking, maybe it feels like there's an unforgiveness issue. So eventually I just said to him, listen, let's talk about forgiveness. And he said, oh, no, no, I've sorted that out. He got this big smile on his face. I said, oh, well, tell me about that. He said, I went up a mountain, and I wrote a list out, and I went up the mountain, and I tore up the thing, and I threw it to the wind, and I said, I forgive everybody. <laughs> and his heart was so pure, and I loved his heart. But he hadn't actually forgiven anybody. Because I believe there are three parts to forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't general. Forgiveness is specific. Why? Because the offense is specific. So forgiveness is very specific. It has a name. Let's say George. It has an event. George slapped me in public. But the bit we struggle with the most is the consequence of what was done. Because George slapped me in public, he shamed me in front of my wife, and I've never been able to look at her the same. And so we have to forgive all three of those things. And what I've realized as a Christian who's 47 years old, so I knew all the words to, um, to that song, Longest Hang. I can't remember the title now, but I'm laying it all down. What a... <clears throat> but I remember all the words to the song. can't remember the title, but I know the song. That's how old I am. Trading my sorrows. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Younger brains. So the point I'm trying to make is, in 30 years, I've realized that there was stuff I, I, I went through and I forgave in my 20s, but in my 40s, New consequences are coming from what was done. And I realized, oh, it's not that I didn't forgive, it's just that this is the next level of forgiveness. And so forgiveness is a choice I have to make, but then it's a process. And I keep going back and forgiving. Forgiveness sets me free. I think it was Corey Tenboom who said, when we forgive, we set a prisoner free, but we discover it's ourselves. Because it's got nothing to do with the other person. Forgiving somebody isn't about them, it's about you. And if you want peace in your life, learn to forgive. And then the last thing I believe that is a formidable weapon as we fight and strive for our peace is love. And what I'm talking about here is that we have to know we are loved by God. 
You know what? We receive His love by faith, but we have to know we are loved. If you have never experienced God's love, there is a problem. There are days I wake up and I know I'm loved and I push through and I know, but there are days I wake up and I feel His love. And I wasn't always like that. I've had to push into that. I've had to strive for that. I've had to fight for that. I've had to deal with the stuff in my heart that makes me feel unlovely. Because when I know I am loved with God, there's a courage that comes in me. When I know that God loves me, that he thinks I'm awesome and amazing, that I'm his child and he knows my name, there's a confidence that comes on me and I can get out there and do what he has called me to do. And so you need to get that. If you don't have it, get it. I, I don't know how else. You've got to just do it. Fight and cry and kick your legs, but get his love. And the last reason for that is because when I am loved by him, I can love others. I can love them with the love he's given me because my love is small. My love is fickle. My love comes to an end, but his is eternal and it is strong. And so we have to figure out that we are loved and live like we are loved. I'm going to read 1 John 4, 9 to 12 to close. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Amen.